Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. Recently, Nike made headlines when they chose an NFL player who started the kneeling movement during our national anthem as the face of their 30th annual Just Do It campaign. I guess it worked because everyone was talking about Nike for the next few days. Some had severe reactions to the campaign and Nike's decision to use Colin Kaepernick, and they took a video of their Nike shoes on fire. Others were very supportive of Nike's decision. I guess Nike wanted to evoke a reaction, and they got it. No one was talking about Puma or Adidas that week. Our objective on Food for Thought is not to get you to burn your shoes or anything else, but rather it is to change the conversation about food security in Michigan. And judging by the numbers of listeners, more than 10,000 of you per week here on WJR, the number of podcast subscribers at 567, and the number of new followers on my Twitter account, more than 300, people are listening to us and at least considering our conversation and how we are approaching this great mission of creating a food-secure Michigan. Along the way, we picked up a few of you who are more than listeners. You are champions, and you are coming alongside of us in unprecedented ways. I am thankful and excited. Some of you are choosing to give us a listen and have said to us, I don't know if I'm with you on all that you talk about on the show, but I know I'm not for anyone being hungry. That's good, and we'll take it. We can start from there. I don't know personally anyone who wants to see anyone else go hungry. Some of you are upholding us in our dream of a food-secure state. Recently, a person took exception to a speech I shared about hunger in Michigan. She was adamant that it was impossible to accomplish. Before I could respond, several people spoke up and upheld the legitimacy of the ideas we are discussing on this show, Food for Thought. I never said a word to her in defense of myself. There were others defending me and this great idea of food security. There are those who both professionally and personally who are advocating on our behalf. Recently, Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner of our lobbying firm in Lansing, who advocates on our behalf, was on the show and explained why she thought it was important for us, the Food Bank Council, to have an advocate. One reason, everybody else does. And two, our work is too important to let it go unrecognized. Two of our greatest advocates are from opposite sides politically, but both want to see hunger solved. Senators Jim Ananick and Pete McGregor are standing in the gap on our behalf, and we're thankful. There are many of you who are backing our work financially and volunteering. We call you champions, and we thank you as well. Today, several of those champions are with us in this edition of Food for Thought. Come back and allow Jerry Brisson and me to introduce you to some of our champions from across our network. We'll be right back.
Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back to Food for Thought, everyone. Jerry Brisson and I in the studio here at WJR. And uh, Jerry, always great to see you. And awesome to be here. And uh, again, looking forward to our guest today. We've got a really good show coming up. I think so. Joe Wald is the CEO and president for the Greater Lansing Food Bank and uh, obviously a board member for the Food Bank Council. And uh, Joe, welcome back to Food for Thought. Well, thanks so much. Always enjoy talking to the two of you. Well, great. Let's dive in right in. We're, we are thankful to have you, and, and uh, we'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, some of the things that you're seeing in the, in the needs of people, and really about how you're investing in them and helping to lift them out of the circumstances they find themselves. Well, thanks so much. Uh, um, So the Greater Lansing Food Bank, one of the seven uh, food banks in the state of Michigan, we all work together, collaborate to try to make sure there's food on everybody's table. Uh, We're in the center of the state, the seven counties of Greater Lansing area, uh, north to Clare and east uh, to Owasso. And uh, like uh, our partners throughout the state, you know, we are seeing continuing need, uh, but we're seeing a different type of need. Uh, Back a ways, we saw people who were chronically in need of our support. And of course, there's, there's still people like that, and we're there for them. But we are seeing more and more people who uh, living on the edge, kind of one paycheck away from a disaster, and they're finding that by the end of the month, they can't quite make ends meet. And so that's what, what we're there for. Uh, and so, you know, we are seeing more and more people coming in and out of our system. Um, we estimate that we are seeing upwards of 100,000 people, uh, you know, throughout the, the center of the state in our region in mid-Michigan. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is, as uh, we've seen in the past, it's families it's seniors, it's children, uh, it's people who've done all the right things, but who find themselves in need of asking for help. And, and what I found from talking to them is they said it's, it's a lot more difficult to ask for help than to give help. And many of them have been our donors and our volunteers in the past. And so as we look at need for the, uh, the mid-Michigan area, uh, you know, we look at national projections, we look at statewide projections, uh, and we see that need, unfortunately, increasing. And so we're focusing on capacity for the future right now. Uh, we're looking at infrastructure. Uh, we are looking at our ability to uh, in- integrate technology, uh, but always doing it so that, you know, we maintain the dignity and respect of the people we serve. And so, uh, you know, we're looking throughout our communities. We're looking at strategic planning and strategic partnering. Uh, and as always, uh, so what is the role of the Greater Lansing Food Bank for the communities we serve? That, that's where our areas of focus are right now. You know, you made a point there about uh, people having a hard time asking for help, and I just want to affirm that from our experience at Gleaners, too. People wait too long. Right. You know, and one of the things we believe is the quicker people get help, the more capable they are of solving all the other things that they need to solve in order to make their life whole, you know? And so we don't want people waiting so long. We actually want people to get help when they need it, and that can be a big challenge. Well, And it is, yes. Go ahead. Well, we do. We want them to ask sooner rather than later because it makes it easier for us to help them and easier for them to help themselves, and you make that point. But I think that, generally speaking, 
People don't do that because of the stigmatism, the disdain that comes with asking for help. It's, it, it doesn't make you, you're not esteemed in anyone's eyes if you're coming and asking for help. And I think that that's something that we have to message in a more positive way. And you say this, Jerry, you say it's people who are worth investing in, not just people in need. And I think that has to become a core tenet of how we describe our work and the people that we serve. And and that's a great way of, of framing this exactly. We have story after story of people who in one way or another, you know, through their churches, their different organizations, helped others. But when they're the ones in need, they don't think it's for them because it was always for somebody else. And there's great stories of people saying, no, no, you know, that's what we're here for. Here, let me take you by the hand and walk you back in, you know, for a different role, because we're here to help anybody and everybody, and we're non-judgmental. And that's, that's the way it's got to be. He's Joe Wald. He is the president and CEO for the Greater Lansing Food Bank. And Jerry, I can see you scribbling notes over there, and I think you've got a question for Joe. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things that I think would be good to hear about is you've got counties that are very rural, and you've got counties that are more urban. And the challenges in, in those settings can be quite different. So when you think about capacity and how you're building capacity to meet the need, how do you think differently about those two settings? Boy, Jerry, you hit it right on the head. And so in the greater Lansing area, you know, we've got a, a long-term established network of agencies. We've got pantries and kitchens and shelters and and all types of mechanisms to get food to people. But as we start moving further north, it is a rural uh, community, and and we don't have the ability to set up uh, a strategic network of pantries because people can't quite get to them. And so we're looking at capacity. We're looking at the ability to take load up more trucks full of food and take them up, communicate it, and get food out to people. We're looking to work through the school systems, as many of our partners, all of our partners throughout the state are doing. We're looking to get food uh, more expeditiously to senior populations who may not have access and the ability to travel to pick up their food. So, so we do have to be innovative. And so, again, we're looking at technology. We're looking at strategic partnerships. You know, we're looking at how can we do this so that we can get people in all four corners of every county we serve because they are different. And so that's exactly what the challenges are. And partnering is really important as we look to do that. And I think that's one of the things that we want to keep emphasizing about this is a solvable problem. It's solvable because the work you're doing breaking it down into what are the elements, who are the partners, what is the technology. I mean, we're just a lot smarter and more capable than we used to be as a network. And certainly, Joe, you're adding a lot to our knowledge base of how to get this done. Well, thanks so much. And and as you said, so we want to get people food on their plates today, but we know that we're smart enough to come up with a solution to solve this horrible problem. And that's what we're all doing, and we're working together to do it. He's Joe Wall, the CEO and President for the Greater Lansing Food Bank. He's been our guest on Food for Thought today. Joe, thanks for how you're serving and and leading there throughout the seven counties of your responsibility at Greater Lansing. And uh, we appreciate you being our guest today on Food for Thought. We'll be back in just a moment.
It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back to Food for Thought, everyone. Jerry Brisson and I here in the studio with our guest, Markel Miller from Food Gatherers in Ann Arbor. Markel, welcome back to, to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you've been busy. You guys have some uh, pretty spectacular innovations going on, particularly around healthcare in uh, in the greater Ann Arbor area. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, we've gotten our gotten ourselves uh, into a lot of work here, but uh, we're happy to be doing it and coordinating it. We've got some great healthcare partners here in the area, and through some special funding, we are able to really expand how we're partnering with our healthcare providers. And the basic principle of what we're trying to do is look at how do we connect people in our community that may be struggling to food resources that are out there that they may not know about. And the idea is that providers like a doctor or a social worker um, can then have a conversation with the patient when they're at their doctor's office about resources and needs that might be going unmet. Many patients sometimes don't know about the food pantries that are available in the community, and so it's a great way to connect them to those resources so they can get access to healthy food and they can stay healthy or heal. Wow, that's pretty cool. So you're doing this at the doctor-patient uh, level? And, exactly. And, yeah, like with like a, 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 what's the word, physician? What's a, what's that general physician? What do you call that? Um, primary care provider? Yeah, primary care. There exactly. we go. That was that, much more intelligent than mine. <laughs> yeah, much more. Most people just call them doctors, but yeah, yeah from a from a healthcare perspective, they're often called primary care providers. And so we're working with all sorts of different clinics throughout the Michigan Medicine Network as well as the IHA network. And what that looks like is so if you take your kid to the pedi- pediatrician's office or you see a family medicine provider or an internal medicine provider. They, these offices are using a basic needs screening tool. So it's a really simple, quick questionnaire that the patient can fill out. And then depending on what needs are identified, the provider can then have a conversation with that patient. And if that person is struggling with having enough food each month, that provider can then connect them to a pantry. Um, and so we help provide information about how those providers can connect people, but the underlying principle is there's there's help out there, and some people don't know that it's available to them. And, and having a physician or a social worker or a PA have that conversation helps to stigmatize it, helps remind everyone that eating healthy is important, um, and it's a thing that everyone can do to help themselves or help the, their families. So I have two things that I want to talk about that I specifically admire about the way you guys do things at Food Gathers, and one is how tight you are with your providers, the the network of partners that you work with to accomplish something like these referrals. So talk a little bit about the kinds of things you do to keep your partner network engaged and informed and know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So we, because of our smaller service area, as you mentioned, Jerry, we're able to have really good relationships with our network of partners. And these are the food pantries and community-based programs that are helping provide food throughout our county. And we have a special smaller group of them we call our food security network. And these are the partners that uh, have additional resources. They often have a budget for their food pantry. They have paid staff. They're able to be open multiple days per week. They're able to do resource navigation, help people with applications for public programs like um, the food assistance program. And so these are places we've directed a lot of our resources and have had 
secured grants, so we're able to do healthy pantry conversions. So they have choice healthy pantries where people can go in and select produce or meat and dairy that works best for their families. So we have put a lot of resources into these programs, so that way there are really high-quality programs to refer patients to. Um, and that way, you know, these are the providers that also the pantries that know their neighborhoods and know their communities and um, can build up those relationships with people. So um, it's been, you know, probably at least a decade of resources going into this, but then when we had the opportunity to partner with healthcare, we already had that built up, which really allowed us to kind of act quickly and build on some momentum that the healthcare providers had. Uh, you know, everyone's looking at social determinants of health, that's the buzzword, and um, providers in healthcare are really recognizing that they can't address healthcare concerns completely just on the kind of um, pharmacy or procedure end of things. They have to address what resources that individuals have access to in the community as well. And I think one of the things that can be overlooked probably accidentally is how much great work you've already done to set up a system that can absorb these new ideas and help physicians do what they need to do and really participate in this conversation about the social determinants of health. And so those networks are critical and your work to support them all these years is something that deserves acknowledgement. And I and I mean that seriously. We're all learning from that work and trying to make our networks as effective as they can be so that we can be a resource to the community in the right way and in the best way. I want to ask one more thing, too, because you're a person that comes from a public health nutrition research and policy background. And so you're now in a time when that specific background is making such an impact as we look to the future. So if you can take a minute just to talk about where you've been and where you see this going as an expert in this area. Well, well, thanks, Jerry, um, for kind of reframing it that way. I, I get so much kind of enjoyment and satisfaction out of my work right now because being at an organization like Food Gatherers, we have such deep connections to the community, and we're able to provide food to people every day, which is just so helpful and so needed. At the same time, uh, because of our mission, because of Eileen's leadership and our board's support, we're able to also really think about what are the causes of hunger and what are those longer-term solutions to it. And so um, bringing that kind of public health and policy perspective to our work has been really uh, a challenge, but really, you know, um, a great joy for me to think about how we can implement those things. So that's where partnering with healthcare, partnering with housing, um, those partnerships are really critical critical for us to be able to identify some of these issues that are causing people to experience hunger in the first place. Um, and then also looking at sustainability and scale, and that's where policy comes in. Um, we know that no one can solve hunger alone, and it's really just this very complex net of you know, community resources, state resources, federal resource, public, private, all of us looking to see what can we be doing. Um, and that helps also get at the, the inequities in, in food access. You know, we in Washtenaw County um, are, you know, are able to have a really vibrant network of food pantries, but, but we have a lot of community-level support for that. And I think about how that may translate to other parts of the state or other parts of the country. And the value of these federal programs and state resources to address hunger really make sure that people are going to get food no matter where they live. And I think that's important for us to remember as we do this work is to think about what are we learning at a local level or a state level, and then how can we apply that to make sure everyone always has access to food. 
She's Markel Miller. She is the director of community food programs at Food Gatherers in Ann Arbor. And um, Markel, as Jerry said, you your your background. But I know at the Food Bank Council, we you've worked with us uh, on several occasions as we've been to Washington D.C. or to the Capitol in Lansing. Um, what are you feeling? Uh, hopeful about the situation politically, and are people beginning to, to, are our legislators beginning to listen more and more interested in this this work that we have of trying to create a food-secure Michigan? What's your gut feeling about that? That is a great question. I am still optimistic, and I still have faith that we will do right and protect the safety net for people. I think that um, a lot of times people are unsettled by the amount of resources going to um, the program because it's such a large amount, but what's underlying that is that it's really upsetting how many people are struggling and that the amount of resources that are going to people, it's because we need to make sure that they're fed and it's a, a thing that we feel is important to do as a society. And so I... Um, I'm able to reflect on the past years and the past farm bills and the past kind of cycles of this. And ultimately, everyone recognizes that we need to feed our um, neighbors and we need to make sure there's access to food regardless of where people live. And so um, programs like SNAP, which is referred to as the Food Assistance Program here in Michigan, are protected and people have access to those programs. And programs like TSAP, which are so critical for food banks to make sure we can provide food to anyone experiencing a food food crisis, are so critical. And I think um, because food is such a, a basic need that ever, that resonates with everyone, those programs will be protected. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I share your optimism and I appreciate you sharing that with us on Food for Thought. And as always, it's great to have you on the show. You bring a very unique perspective, and uh, it helps the rest of us. And we appreciate all that Food Gathers is is, uh, innovating there in the Ann Arbor area. So thanks very much, and give Eileen our best as well. I will. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate, as always, partnering with you both. Great to have you. Thank you. Jerry and I will be back in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We're back on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. So, Jerry, two food bankers, one from the central part of the state, uh, from Greater Lansing, Joe Wald, and then Markel Miller, who is giving great leadership there, along with Eileen Spring uh, in Washtenaw County, uh, the heart of Ann Arbor. You know, one thing that strikes me every time you talk to somebody about Ann Arbor is, really, there's a need there? Oh, every place. I mean, it's one of the messages we try to get out all the time. It's it's even with the good economy. And then you have a, a community that has some wealth and people go, gosh, I can't believe it. But the truth is every single school, every single one in the state of Michigan has a number of families who apply for and get free or reduced price lunch because they're they can't make ends meet. Every single school, there is no exceptions in the Detroit or not Detroit, the Michigan public school system. Right. So so you know even in a community that has uh, uh, 
the uh, the ability to support itself as a community still has edges in that community. Well, you're talking about education. I'll give you an example of that. Ada, which is uh, where the DeVos, as in the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, and that's the community they live in. When we mapped the, the state of Michigan for where does food insecurity exist, we even found it in Ada. Now, well below the average of 15 to 16% across the state, but still in Ada, 3.2%. Right. Children, every school district. That's exactly right. And so I think that um, it's one of the nice things about hearing from a couple of food banks from areas that people aren't necessarily imagining need help. You know, the Lansing and, and central part of the state, you know, lots of great agriculture. Part of what makes us the great state we are is right. how much agriculture and success we have with agriculture. And yet there's poverty and rural poverty is hard. And to find solutions where you have people spread out real far is really challenging and nice that Joe and his team are really working hard to solve that challenge. And on the other hand, in Washtenaw County, you've got a real tight-knit community that can see the problems and maybe do a little bit more than the average um, because of those tight-knit relationships and yet finding they still need to bring partners in like healthcare to imagine full food security for their community. Well, you know, the last question I asked Markel was, was she hopeful about um, all these programs that we're talking about that in some cases are referred to as the safety net? And in a previous show with David Lee, we referred to them as work supports. Does she think that they're going to continue? And, you know, I think that question for you and for me in the context of, you know, we're having a statewide election coming up here in the next few weeks, and I know that kind of dates the show, but, you know, it is very important uh, to our work, both federally and statewide, that these programs remain intact or it's going to increase the burden on our network, you know, to the nth degree. And the other thing that I think it's important to say is it increases the consequences to our community. I mean, it is about our network, and we know it's challenging doing what we do. But the bottom line is, if you start to take those work supports away, you really hurt small business. You really hurt businesses that have a lot of low-skilled and low-wage jobs. You hurt the healthcare system. You hurt the education system. It's not just about the people who are receiving help, but the investment we make in people because those people are critical to us. We need home health care workers. We need teachers. We need people who are currently making low wages, even if it's somebody that's at a McDonald's or something like that, and not to name one particular business. But fundamentally, if, if the wage situation doesn't meet what people need to live. And I want to quote from our very own self-sufficiency standard, which was published just less than a year ago. The 10 most common occupations in Michigan cover 25% of the workforce. The 10 most common occupations cover 25% of the workforce, and only one in 10 of these has medium wages above the standard for a family to meet their own needs. And that one is? That's nursing. So help our listeners understand what some of those other nine are. Now, this is, this is the areas or the jobs that 
that people are um, are the number of people are most employed in. And you named one of them, which is you know food service. Absolutely right. And it's you know you think about when you need help for something. What are who's doing that help for you, right? So, right. so we certainly talked about um, home health care workers as a right. growing area, right? That's mm-hmm. a very low wage. That's an area that's increasing the number of people, and it's going to increase as we age, right? Right. We know that we talked about that on a couple shows back. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Well, another one of those areas that's really important too is is there are manufacturing jobs here in the state that are low-skill jobs. And so those normally mean lower-wage jobs. And I think that makes up a good portion of the, of, the, of the jobs that we're talking about here. And retail. A lot of retail jobs fall right. into that category of one of the top 10 where people are employed, but they're not making a living wage. Partly it's because of not working full-time. A lot of those jobs also don't have benefits. Well, a lot, a tremendous amount of those in the top 10 don't have benefits. So, I mean, that's a whole nother financial burden. And that's why the self-sufficiency standard is so is such important work and why we have to keep talking about it and why we have to keep promoting it. Um, and, you know, one of the goals that we have for the coming year is how do we take that self-sufficiency conversation to the next level? Because there is a huge divide between people who are eligible for any assistance from the federal government and those who are self-sufficient. Right. Big gap. I also I can't help but editorialize just for a minute about term limits. Um, this information that we just talked about, the self-sufficiency standard and what it means, we've gotten this information to our existing legislators. We've gotten it to them several times, right? Right. And they find it incredibly helpful. And now a bunch of those people are going to be gone and a bunch of new people are coming in that won't have it, right? Right. And so as we come up with the elections, one of the things on our mind is how do we get this information to the new people so that they recognize and know the consequence of food insecurity to our community? Now, I'm not saying it's not a worthy challenge. It is a worthy challenge. But term limits makes it very challenging when you've got complex issues that you're trying to solve because you're never done educating. Right. Oh, no. You you, you can't. Term limits do make advocacy very, very difficult in our state. Um, And... Is challenging. In fact, um, one of the CEO groups that I participate in is made up of all association leadership, and there's several of them across. And one of the consensus thoughts we have is if there's a big problem like food security that we want to create and solve, we're going to have to do it and take the solution to the legislature because they're simply not here long enough to be able to grasp all of that and be able to enact it it's, it's a different way to working than when at least when we were growing up yeah and i just think it's important to realize the strengths and weaknesses of the systems we create it's having an honest dialogue and if we're going to solve problems like food insecurity we have to have honest dialogues about the challenges that you face when you try to solve it and certainly having a constantly shifting landscape is one of those challenges. It is one of those challenges. And we got a few more challenges, and we're going to discuss those when we come back. We've got one more segment here on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 
It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Okay, we're back here. Last segment for uh, Food for Thought. Jerry, um, we kind of danced around this. Let's just, you know, let's just walk right up to it. The governor election in Michigan is very important to our work. And one of the reasons it's very important is because we've had both Bill Schuette and Gretchen Whitmer on our show. And they've sat right here with us and discussed uh, the concepts that we hold dear in this work about creating food security across the state. And food first, folks. <laughs> food first, right? And and the first time, the first time we've had both of the candidates for governor from the Re- Republican and Democratic Party actually make public acknowledgement that this is in fact important to them, it's important to our state, and it's something worth attention. And I think when we talk about solving a problem like food insecurity, having that level of conversation publicly right here on our show is one of the signs that this is going to be solved. I'm really excited about the fact that we've gotten this far, and with the election coming up, I, I'm eager to see how this takes shape. Well, I think that, you know, Oswald Sanders is the one who defined leadership, and he said it's influence, nothing more, nothing less. And I think that the Food Bank Council and our network of seven food banks have exerted some influence into this election. Um, and not just the governor's race, but also we've, you know, we've listened to, uh, to some of the candidates for U.S. Senate and we listened to uh, several candidates for states in it and and uh, house seats, and we're interested to see that some people go into office that have this on their radar, and not just on their radar, but on their agenda. We want to see this issue move forward. So some of the candidates are talking about literacy and third grade le- reading levels by third grade. Well, we know what. You can't get there if the kids aren't fed. Yeah. They can't be well-read if, if they're not well-fed. Exactly so that's pretty, right. pretty straightforward, you know. I mean, so while that seems so simple, it doesn't mean it's less true. Yeah. Right? And, and it's why we want to keep putting this priority forward. The more people understand the impact of solving this problem, the positive benefits and the lower cost of solving hunger versus keeping it, the more we'll have for this movement to actually get this problem solved. And it is a movement. And there's a lot of people involved. And it's a growing number. And so, again, as we, as we get ready for another election cycle, one of the things that I'm encouraged by is that the key people, many of the key people looking at representing us as citizens of this state are going, you know, I think you're right. I think this is an important problem to solve. I think I can and will spend time helping you solve it. And that's pretty exciting. I think so. And I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to help work in that effort and influence the influencers. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a part of what we do at the Food Bank Council. So I guess it's time for a little food for thought. I echo back to the words of Edmund Burke, one of my favorite champions, who led the fight politically to abolish slavery from the great British Empire. Edmund Burke said, The greatest mistake anyone ever makes is when they choose to do nothing 
because they only think they can do a little. Trust me, a gift or an investment of your time, talent, or treasure goes a long way when you volunteer. A vote for the candidate that you think would serve this issue best matters. Serve on a board or a committee or invest some of your dollars to ensure kids and seniors have enough food because with that food comes a chance to live with dignity and grow up to be who they could be. So become a hunger champion like Markel and Joe and Jerry and the rest of the Food Bank Council Network by doing a little with what you have and see how far it goes. Find your opportunities to serve the food bank that serves your area at fbcmich.org. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show at foodsecuremichigan.org. Listen each week here on WJR and follow me, Dr. Phil14, on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.